Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. On the last episode of Guilt, Untold Stories. So I'm standing where the old gun placement used to be, and um, there's a plaque here which says, This tree is planted in loving memory of Cursor Marie, Cursor Mary Jensen, last seen alive at this place, the 1st of the 9th, 1983. My first thoughts are it's not what I expected. I thought that this site was going to be much more difficult to view from the bridge. Now I'm just completely perplexed perplexed because given if someone came here and took cursor from against her will, I mean, someone would have seen it. From Brevity Studios, I'm Ryan Wolfe. And this is Guilt. Untold Stories. When we left the last episode, I was being offered a coffee by former Detective Inspector Ian Hollyoak. In 1983, it was Ian that was first brought in to take on Curse's case. And despite eventually moving on with his career in different parts of New Zealand and the world, Ian has never given up doing anything he can in an attempt to finally break the case. And I've got so much respect for his eagerness, even 40 years later. We grab our coffees and make our way through his immaculate home to his office, where we grab a seat and I ask him to tell me his story. Today, Ian is 81, but still sharp as a tack, with a gleam in his eye. Just a reminder, as this is a guilt-untold story, it's going to sound slightly different than what you're used to. I'm not going to be editing the interviews as I normally might, so it will be a bit more raw than usual. In some ways, this might be a nice change. Also, it's been nearly 40 years since Curse's disappearance. So naturally, we can't expect Ian to remember every intricate detail of the case without the files in front of him. Yes, I uh, I started training as a police cadet at 17 years of age, 64 years ago and um, and uh, 
subsequently joined uh, the CIB um, two, three years into my career. I did uh, training for 19 months and then on the beat and patrolled and then detective officer in 1963. Strangely, uh, same month that I got married. And um, and I was in the detective branch really for 25 years, I suppose, 25, 26, 27 years, perhaps 27. Uh, so most of my career, two-thirds of my career, was as an investigator. Initially, bike thefts and, and ultimately um, murderers and major drug dealers and, yeah. and what have you. And then finally, uh, my last detective position was in charge of the Christchurch detective office for uh, three or four years. And then I went into senior command management in Christchurch, and then Dunedin, and then Police National Headquarters. So... Yeah. yeah, that's my overall career. So, can you remember the day that you sort of got the call that about? Oh, vividly. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it was a, well, I think it was a Friday, uh, and I actually had a day off or a day on study leave. I was doing a university course at the time, and you're allowed to have a week off, a day off every month or something. And I was at home uh, doing a bit of preparation for some thesis or something, and uh, I got a call to say that. This young girl had gone missing the night before out at Ao Toto and um, where she was riding with a horse and, and hadn't been found. They'd found the horse at night and they still couldn't find her. And um, and that was, you know, unusual to say the least. So detectives were being called in and uh, my officer called me. Uh, so I went to work and uh, picked up the reins in, as it were, and uh, and uh, got into it. And quite clearly, uh, you know, it couldn't be an accident or anything. It uh, it was suspicious circumstances right from the start for a fourteen-year-old girl just to disappear completely. Yeah. So we treated it uh, as suspicious right from well from that morning when I started on yeah. it. She'd gone missing you know, sixteen hours earlier, I suppose. Yeah. Um, and I guess in this area. And, you know, just for the record, we're not far from the site no, right uh, now, are we? Yeah, it's, um, uh, I think I looked, I rode on my lecky bike over that way uh, uh, last week, the week before, and it was three or four kilometres. Yeah. In a straight line, probably only one or two. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, I mean, at that time, in this sort of area, something like that, it's people don't just go missing, especially no, 14-year-old no, girls. No, no, at uh, the edge of a small industrial area, uh, and right by the sea, uh, now there's a lot of housing in this area, and uh, uh, so it's, it's far more um, uh, urban now. But no, it's it just out of the ordinary for someone to go missing like that and, and leave a horse behind there. Mm. What were your first steps? You know, I mean, when you you just realise, okay, this is happening, you know, you get in there, did you go straight to the scene or do you talk to the mother? And uh, Oh, gosh, I can't remember what order I did things in uh, uh I'd been told that uh, one person had come forward and and uh, told us uh, that he had seen the girl there the afternoon before, and uh, as he drove past in his his car, he lived um, not too far away, halfway between Napier and Hastings. He was coming over to Hastings to go shop uh, to Napier to go shopping, and he he told the story, which was quite unusual. He said he had seen this girl from the distance and if you go to the area and look out you can see it's you know one or two hundred meters away from the main highway he saw a girl with a horse talking to a man in a white truck as he drove along the main highway and he thought it was suspicious 
so much so that he turned around, or he circuited a block, which would be three or four kilometres to do it, to go back and have a look. Um, uh, and I was most concerned about the story. It was out of the ordinary. I mean, I couldn't see how a person could make the determination. I mean, he was a gardener or something. I couldn't. I didn't really believe. It didn't sound too true that story. So I. Um, we immediately wanted to check out his background and uh, and his account of things. But yeah, so he said he'd been in there and seen her, and she said she was all right and someone was going to get help for her, so he drove off. But then, strangely, he went back home and uh, didn't go, carry on with his shopping. And so some suspicion attached to that man, and, uh, and I've got to be quite honest and say it's, it still does. Um, he was able to uh, give an account of where he went and what time he got home and, and uh, his family and neighbours uh, appeared to confirm that he in fact did get home uh, soon after this occurrence. So thereupon we, we started, you know, you've got to keep an open mind on these things. It sounded odd, but uh, he uh, he was kind of alibied. So we, uh, we carried on, we started looking for white trucks. And believe me, I think we found every white truck that existed in Hawke's Bay and anywhere within hundreds of kilometres and checked them out and uh, but he never found anybody that could have had any connection with the disappearance. This man Ian is referring to is John Russell who I briefly mentioned in the last episode. For better or worse John ended up being a focus of the investigation due to what was considered odd behaviour. Just to recap John claims he was driving north, on his way to the store to buy plants for the garden. While crossing the bridge, he looks across and says he saw Cursor speaking to a balding man in a white ute or a small truck. So concerned was he by what he saw that he circled the block and drove down to the gun emplacement where he spoke to Cursor, who told him she'd fallen off her horse and that someone was going to get her parents. He then left. This is the story he told police when he voluntarily came forward the morning after Curse's disappearance. And we'll dig deeper into John Russell in an upcoming episode. But there are two possibilities here. A. That John is simply a good Samaritan who thought he saw a girl in trouble and tried to help. Or B. That John was in fact responsible for Curse's disappearance and worried that his vehicle might be placed at the scene, he created an innocent reason for him being there at that time. And what was his name? Uh, the, that witness was, was Russell. John Russell, yes. Yeah. And uh, so the search was carrying on in the vicinity. You know, a a um, very, gone. very detailed search right around the area and then expanding out. Uh, I mean, the sea there, um, bodies can wash away in Hawke's Bay and some don't come back, but we, we checked everything you possibly could. And, uh, you know, suspects' names were thrown up and they were checked out by my suspects' team and uh, uh, we did everything we could and it just went on day after day after day. And uh, eventually, uh, the only... only piece of information we had, there were some blood spots at the scene which we believed with, the, with what testing we could do then 
We believed it was Curtis Jensen's blood because she had a bleeding nose. This man had told us that. And, uh, but there was nothing like, no, no blood, quite anything in his car or anything to link him anymore to the disappearance. However, one, one item we found at the scene was a rope that tied the horse to, had tied the horse to the gun emplacement. And that rope did not belong to the family. They told us it wasn't there but a rope and they were mystified as to where the rope could have come from. And we did, eventually, after weeks, we did some scientific testing on this rope. And uh, as a result of the the scientific uh, analysis, there was something, I mean, it's very complex, but there was something like an assemblage of 42 pollens, minerals and spores in this piece of rope. Um, (laughs) Unbelievable. It seemed to us that wherever there was this, we could find this assemblage of 42, we're getting close to the person. But we never ever did. All the white trucks, like we were checking and, and analysing them. And then finally, we we did an analysis of the um, areas around which this uh, witness lived and worked, and it started to match up. And we eventually, after further investigation, found that this rope most likely came from a caravan awning that uh, Russell's employer had given to him to dispose of uh, when it was worn out and uh, to be thrown away. And he, quite uh, innocently, had, had kept two or three awning ropes off it and thrown it in his car, yes. and, and one of them turns out to have been uh, used to tie the horse up. So our, our attention turned back onto him then, but there was nothing that could um, make him any more connected with the crime than that one... Um, did he admit to that rope being his in the end? Well, I, in, I, I think he conceded that he had thrown away this awning and he'd kept some ropes, but he didn't quite know, you know how it happened. Perhaps he loaned it to her to, yeah. to um, tie the horse up, and, and so then, you know, then we're lost again. And uh, So part of his um, his statement was was he went down to see... He said there was a bald guy or something, did he, with cursing? Yeah, yeah, time. some man uh, in a white truck uh, talking to her... Um, and he thought it was suspicious, and yeah. as I say, I, I just couldn't reconcile yeah. that for an ordinary man passing by on the highway to be so concerned about something that he had nothing to do with mm. to to warrant him driving. And it would have taken him five minutes to drive around this big block and get back to the to the area, but that's what he did. He's sort of saying, though, that he w- he did have contact with her when he went down there yes, of some yeah, kind. Yes, talked to her and made sure she was okay and left. Yeah. 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 Yeah, and left, uh, and and other passers by. Did so. I did see his car come out of there, or a car like that come out. Okay. Don't uh, you know, I was always wondering, well, did he come forward to us because he worried that his car had been seen, and uh, and he wanted to cover his tracks, or was he, you know, just a concerned citizen? Uh, it it just didn't gel properly with me. Yeah, but there was nothing. There was no evidence trying to say that he was. Uh, directly involved in her disappearance and after months and months of inquiries we we couldn't prove it any further what, what sort of was you know sometimes you meet and you as a detective you would have experienced met a lot of people interviewed a lot of people you know you'd have you probably develop a bit of a gut instinct 
what did you sort of feel with him? Were you just never really quite sure? Oh, no, you, you know, you you always got to keep an open mind. Uh, sometimes, you know, people get a bit concentrated in one direction and and, uh, and you can lose your objectivity, but you mustn't do that uh, mm. in an investigation, and certainly not in homicide investigations, so you try not to. But then you've got to follow the obvious things too, so there's a fine balance between the two, I guess. But uh, now about him, he was the last known person to see Curtis Jensen, and quite clearly the last person to see any missing person is is, is really the key to the whole thing. And you have to find that last person. Was there another one after him or not? We don't know. And so now I have no, uh, um, yeah, no great determination one way or the other. He, uh, his situation was, uh, appeared suspicious to me and remained so. Yeah. And as I say, if he, if he had um, the answer, he took it to the grave with him. Sadly, nine years after Curse's disappearance, John Russell took his own life after seeking help from a psychiatric facility with a medical condition. He left no note explaining why he took his own life. He was obviously the sort of main witness. I mean, I guess we'll call him a witness or suspect. Or, but there was apparently, so I heard there's a couple other witnesses. Was there a surfer that saw her horse tied to the gun emplacement at one point? And were there, was there another couple that actually saw yes. her there? Yeah, there were people, and, and after nearly 40 years, I don't recollect too well, there were people, we, we found people that had seen her riding, uh, had seen her near the gun emplacement, uh, and and none of those could add anything material, uh, and nor was there any suspicion about any of them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It, uh, you know, it's a remote area, and people ride horses. It's mm. not unusual, but yeah. it's not something you memorise and take photos of or anything, or, or yeah. take number plates. <laughs> I suppose the thing I am, um, because one of them I heard was a couple, and did they apparently they saw her with like a handkerchief to her nose or something. Maybe indicating she'd fallen off her yeah, horse or something. Yeah, I think I think we did establish pretty much that she had had a fall of some sort, and uh, she was bleeding. Her nose was bleeding, I think, and um, and so yeah, odd people must have seen it the same as as this um, uh, John Russell yeah. did. The blood that was found on the gun emplacement, or spatters of blood. I mean, what yeah. sort of how was what kind? Are we talking? You know, what volume are we? Oh, no, I think it was only just very small. Uh, uh, patches of blood and I think we were able to um, satisfy ourselves that it was her blood um, we didn't have any DNA then that's you know it was something yet to be invented or, or had only just only just come to light but we weren't using it in any forensic way in New Zealand um, but we could do blood testing and I uh, I think we were able to determine, maybe from the parents' blood, I can't remember now, we satisfied ourselves that it was her blood spots that were there. Uh, and, you know, nowadays, of course, you could, you could be a bit more uh, determined because you could get DNA and you could be positive about more things than we could in those days 40 years ago. Yeah. Um, I suppose, I, I guess, you know, in terms of thinking about that blood, I mean, I guess at the time you're trying to decide, okay, is this blood indicative of some violent act or yeah, is this yeah. the result of, exactly, the, yeah. of, of yeah. the nose, broken yeah. nose or whatever that might be? Yeah. We'll discuss blood evidence further in an upcoming episode. 
but in a specific area behind the gun emplacement, where Curse's horse Commodore had been tied, there were dozens and dozens of tiny blood droplets. And on the emplacement itself, a couple slightly larger drops had run down the concrete. The size of the droplets indicate they are not the result of a deep wound. So were these simply a result of Cursor falling from her horse and bleeding, as described by witnesses? Or could these drops have been from Cursor's horse itself, due to the fact that all the drops of blood were in the area the horse was tied, and the horse was also apparently bleeding? Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Okay. Would you be keen to come out with me and to show me some of the spots at some point? Yeah, yeah. Would okay. that be okay? Yeah. Even tomorrow or something? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm quite happy to walk along the legend. Oh, yeah, yeah, that'd be great. That'd probably, yeah, make, you yeah, can get it in perspective then, yeah. Yeah. Ian and I make plans to visit the site. Before I ask him a question, which was something I couldn't help but think on my first visit, and that's the close proximity of the ocean, a place notoriously dangerous for swimming. Um, yeah. You know, and I'm sure you guys thought about this at the time, and it might seem silly, but the water and stuff, that, how far from, you know, is there any possibility that she could, I mean, she she wouldn't go for a swim or something no. silly like that, would she, and never be found? Or no, anything? well, it, that seemed a possibility, but but, but rather vague. Um, yeah. There'd be no reason for her. I mean, could she have wandered down to wash her face and got swept away, but it would have been a fine, calm day, and that... Mm. Uh, there's no suggestion that did happen, uh, but if it did, uh, you know, you know, we 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 did determine that uh, bodies have gone out there and disappeared in the bay completely, um, you know, lost off boats or whatever, and, and you never find them again for whatever reason, whether it's tidal action or I don't know. Uh, but you have to get from where the gun emplacement to the sea, and it's you know we're talking. 50 or 100 metres, you don't just fall over and into the sea and Mm. be swept away. In order for that theory to even be plausible, she would have had to gone for a swim or something. Yeah, yeah. And then the body would have to not be found, which would be rare in itself. Extremely, yes. Um, Yeah, I guess it's it's, it's hard with the, I mean, obviously apart from Russell, so I guess in the history of the case, there's never been any good solid leads other than just everything around him. Yeah, no, there we we had this doubt about him right at the start, but he was kind of alibied, and we thought, oh well, we've got to be um, objective about this and look for. Other. And so there there were dozens of suspects came up for various reasons that 
you look at in these cases and you see those people and eliminate them and work your way through them uh, then you um, uh, then you you get also I mean you get psychics I think we had oh. some 600 calls from psychics soothsayers and dreamers who came forward with all sorts of ideas and you cannot ignore them because I, I've always got this feeling that um, you could have some potential witness who's trying to sort of you know, inject a bit of a story and doesn't want to say what his real thing is, so he tells you he had a dream. How, you know, how has this case sort of affected you over your career and, and your life, I guess? Oh, I, yeah, I, I've often said if you're a, a detective inspector for long enough, you'll come across a case that you can't solve. And um, and I know, you know, from many of my colleagues who, like me, were detective inspectors, that happens to you eventually. Uh, as I think we said earlier, most homicides in New Zealand are uh, domestic situations or or um, criminal-related, um, uh, and, and the answer is there. When you arrive at the scene, uh, the offender is standing there with, well, with the gun, that's pretty rare, with the bloody knife or the hammer, uh, or he's, he's uh, taking his own life. Um, so there's not great mysteries. And every now and then, there's a hard one. I'd encountered one uh, 1975, soon after I was promoted to detective inspector in Wellington, where, where, again, a girl went, or a young lady went missing at a beach in Paikakariki, and we couldn't find her for a week. Uh, and then eventually my search party did. Um, uh, we were we were evaluating witnesses, we are seeing people, we were looking at suspects. But without a body, um, it's hard to have any evidence. And eventually we did find the body uh, near where she was last seen. That's, that's where you usually find them, actually. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, buried in the sand. And from then we were able to uh, develop the case and get scientific evidence and arrest an offender. Um, but this one that happened, uh, that was 75, um, eight years later, uh, um, this one beat me. And how does it affect me? Well, you know, you... You don't get too upset about it. Well, I suppose some people do, but uh, you got to carry on with your life and uh, and uh, and do other things. But that said, it's always at the back of my mind, uh, and I've travelled all over New Zealand, working in other parts of the world, and and then I retired. And whilst I didn't originate in this Hawkes Bay area, I came back to Hawkes Bay because I enjoyed the place and I had family here, and. Uh, yeah, every 1st of September, along with some of the other police officers, we wandered down to the gun emplacement and uh, tidy up the memorial park and, uh, <coughs> excuse me, and, um, and sometimes if Robin Jensen had been in town, she and family will come there too. So, uh, it's affected me in that, uh, I've never forgotten it and never will. And, uh, you always live in hope that one day something, someone will say something that, um, will lead us to where she is and, and we can bring relief and some form of finality to the family. And I still hope for that. What would you say to someone if they were listening to this now out there and they may have that little piece that's been... Oh, I'd say don't be afraid to come forward after all this time. You'd be you'd be helping a lot of people. So you can go to a police station and, and, uh, and make your report and it will be looked into. Yeah. The, the file is still open and this I know the 
police officer currently looks after the file. In fact, uh, you know, I've seen him in recent times for other reasons, and um, he's only too happy to look things up if necessary. Ian and I finish up our interview, and together visit Curse's mother, where we chatted for a couple hours. And sadly, I won't be able to share. I really do have so much respect for Ian. He's one of the good ones. Someone who gave his working life to genuinely try to make our country a better place. He has an impeccable reputation and is a great guy. We make plans to meet the next day to visit the site itself. And also to follow the route John Russell claimed he took. Because to Ian, it just never made any sense. And for me, only raises even more questions about what truly happened to Cursor Jensen. Guilt Untold Stories is a Brevity Studios production, written, produced and narrated by me, Ryan Wolf. All opinions expressed in this podcast are exactly that, opinions, and are not a statement of fact by the podcast itself. All persons named are presumed innocent unless proven otherwise in a court of law. You'll find further photos and video on my Instagram, RyanWolfNZ, and I highly recommend you join the discussion with over a thousand other guilt listeners on Facebook at the Guilt Podcast Discussion Group. I'd like to remind you that Season 4 of Guilt will feature a brand new case and will be coming very soon. Make sure you've hit the follow button on whatever platform you're listening to be sure you're notified of the moment it's release. And please, share the podcast on your socials and tell your friends. Guilt is a 100% independent production. Unlike other New Zealand podcasts, we've never received a single dollar in taxpayer funding. You can support us to continue to make great content, plus get ad-free listening, bonus episodes and early release by becoming a Brevity Plus subscriber on Apple or Acast Plus. You'll find the details in the show notes of every episode. This podcast was produced 100% without the use of AI. On the next episode of Guilt, Untold Stories. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.